Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. When you buy the property, make it bulletproof. And by that, I mean, if the roof is 20 years into a 25-year roof, replace it. If your furnace is 20 years in and it's on its kind of its last leg, but it works, replace it. If the hot water heater is 15 years old, replace it, right? Don't leave anything in place that's going to need something done in the next five years. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey, all right. Thank you for joining me today on the show. I appreciate it. I'm glad that you're here and I'm happy to be here with you. I have another good one for you guys. This is one of my Q&As that I do on Wednesdays. We replay them for you on Thursday so that you can gobble up all the good knowledge and information that's being shared on Wednesdays live. And if you've never been there live, you should try it. I stream live on uh, YouTube. If you go to Mike Simmons on YouTube, you can check it out there or you can go to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook and check it out there. Uh, we also are streaming to LinkedIn and Twitter and mostly on Instagram too. Uh, Instagram's a little bit of a different beast, but we're working it out. But anyways, you guys should be there live and ask questions. I will answer your specific questions about your specific business and your specific situation if you're there live. If you're not, you can always listen to the replay, which is what you're doing right now. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, but at the very least, listen to the replay because there's a lot of good stuff here, guys. Sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And you might not have thought to ask some of these questions that people are asking of me and I'm answering. So that's a good thing. Uh, today was a fun one. Uh, we talk about um, which city or which area in the U.S. is best for house hacking and growing a rental portfolio. I had some thoughts on that. Uh, we had some live listeners chime in on their thoughts, which was kind of cool. Uh, also, uh, we had someone who was not renewing a lease. They gave their tenant notice, and now the tenant's freaking out, threatening to sue. What happens there? Um we had someone asking about how much to save for vacancies and capital expenditures and maintenance allowances on single family homes uh, being used as rentals and, and so much more. Just a great episode, guys. I'm going to uh, stop talking now and let you listen to it. I give you my latest live Q&A. 
All right. How are we doing, guys? Hope you're good. We're back here for another Wednesday uh, live Q&A. We call it that because I'm here live with you. And if you're here live with me, that's awesome. You can ask me questions. You can ask me anything you want. Uh, we pretty much stick to real estate and business growth. But um, oh, if you have any relationship problems, I guess I can try to help you with that too. Um, but seriously, though, we are here. We're on most platforms. Uh, we're still working out Instagram. <clears throat> Instagram does not make it easy, but we are on most other major platforms, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, everything. So um, uh, you can go there and ask questions. Um, Facebook might be the easiest one, I know, but you can go to all of them, I think, and ask questions. Um, but if for some reason your question doesn't get through, then maybe hop over to Facebook, Just Start Real Estate on Facebook, that page, and you can check it out there. Uh, I also want to make sure you guys are, are aware of this. I announced it last week, uh, but I want to say it again. I you know, I listen to you guys and, and I get tons of questions. I don't answer all of them on here all the time. I mean, people give me questions in person. I can't say, hold on, I'll answer it on Wednesday, like log into Facebook. Um, so I answer it in person, obviously. And one of the questions that I get all the time, and I mean all the time, and I know you're going to believe me because if you're listening to this, you either have this question or you have had the question in the past. And so you know that it's a legit and relevant thing. It's how do I market for more leads? And then when I when they ask me, because it always happens, they say, what is your best lead channel? Like what, what is the best marketing strategy or the best marketing channel that you have that's generated the most leads for you over the last decade? <clears throat> and it's hands down. There's no question about it. It's not even close. The number one by a wide margin is direct mail. Direct mail is great for a number of reasons, but it's brought me the vast majority of my deals over the last, specifically the last six or seven years. Because I've done over 800 deals now in my in my real estate career. And probably a hundred of them was like the first, you know, five or six years. Like I did a hundred during that time. And I've done about 700 since then. So, um, and that's like in the last six years. So I've done so much more in the last six years than I did in the first. Um, and I was learning in the first and I was being a little stubborn about asking for help in the first six years. And so it took me, it you know, it took its toll in the form of taking a lot of time. And so I've done so much more in the last six years, but people ask me like, where have you done the vast majority of your deals? And I would say of the 800 or so that I've done, probably 650 of them have been through direct mail. And so that's the question I get, like where's the, what's the best lead channel for you? And I tell them, and then the next question is always, I don't know how to do direct mail or I don't I don't know how to do it well or I tried it and it didn't work for me. Like I don't know what I was doing wrong. <clears throat> and when I dig into some of their uh their issues with direct mail, it's a lot of times the same problem or, or the same, you know, handful of things they're not doing right and that's causing them to not be successful with direct mail. And so what I have done is I said, all right, I, I get this question a lot. I'm just going to put together a, a video series breaking down the right way to do direct mail, the way that I have learned to, to do direct mail over the last six or seven years. And over the last six or seven years, I calculated I have spent <clears throat> more than a million dollars, just over a million dollars in direct mail, sending direct mail. You, 
And, and if you think about it, a postcard at the volume that I send it out, a postcard costs like 33 cents. And so imagine how much mail I had to send at 33 cents per piece to spend a million dollars in direct mail. And so how much do you think I learned about direct mail um, when I would like A-B test different cards and, and change colors and change fonts and change graphics and pictures and no picture, logo, no logo. Do I put my website on? Do I not put my website on? Like all these things that I've tried and trial and error over the course of a million dollars worth of spend to get to the conclusion that I have with direct mail and do the amount of deals that I've done with direct mail. Now, I like I said, I've done about 600 to 650 deals that have come directly from uh, direct mail pieces. And the average deal over that course of time is probably in the $15,000 range. So I didn't do that math ahead of time and I'm not gonna do public math for you here and try to figure it out in my head, but that's a lot of money. <clears throat> and so I put together a, a small course, it's a five video course on how I do direct mail from start to finish, every phase of my direct mail, everything. And I give you my, my best performing card in this video series, the best card that I've ever used that's gotten me, of that 650, it's gotten me the majority of those, one single card. And so I give you that card, I break down why it works, we talk about how to get it, uh, how to pull lists, how to get it um, printed, how to get it mailed, what happens when the phone rings, right? That's like the next step. Okay, I sent my mail out, now the phone's ringing, what now? And so we talk about that in this video series. But the best part, guys, if you're all this money I spent trying to figure all this out and all the time and energy I put into like put all my knowledge of direct mail into this video series, the best part is it's completely free. It doesn't cost anything. I'm not charging you a dime. There's no obligation. There's nothing. Just go and get signed up for the video series. It's yours for free. All you have to do is go and get it. And you can get it at mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. That's mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. I promise you, you will not be sorry. And after all, what do you have to lose? It's free. Like if you watch it and you go, well, that was crap. You're no worse off. Trust me. I mean, you have lost some time, but I guarantee you there's going to be things in that video series. Even if you're an experienced direct mail uh, person, there's going to be things that you maybe didn't know or you could do better. And if you're not an expert at direct mail, you will be when you're done with this video series. And like I said, it's totally free, guys, right? You're not going to be dumber for watching it. I guarantee you that. So go and check it out. Go and grab it. It is yours for the taking. All right. <clears throat> that being said, let's dive into today's questions. Remember, I get these questions all, all kinds of ways. People DM me. People email me. Um, sometimes if I get the same question over and over again in person, I put it in here too because I, I know people are going to want to know if I'm getting it. I, people want to know. But if you're here live and you're watching this live, I will I will prioritize your questions. So don't think you have to wait until I'm done with all the questions that I had ready to go tonight. I'll push all those aside for you. But you have to jump in here and, and ask the questions and I'll do that for you. Okay, first question is, where would you recommend living in the US to start house hacking and building a rental property business? We have to get out of the Bay Area. I would agree the Bay Area, area kind of sucks for house hacking and rentals. I would not suggest the Bay Area. But the good news is if you want to house hack, then just for people who maybe don't know what they're talking about, house hacking is when you buy a property and live there 
while you fix it up and then you know you rent it out after you're done or maybe it's a duplex and you live in one side and you rent out the other while you fix up the side you're in and then once your side is fixed then you switch and you live in the side that isn't fixed and then you fix that side up and so or you just buy a single family home you live in it you fix it all up and then you burr it out or rent it out or whatever you're going to do that's house hacking the 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 core concept of house hacking is you are going to live in the unit or one of the units while you repair it and then rent it out when you're done. So the question is, <clears throat> where would I recommend living in the US? There's there's a million places. I wouldn't recommend one specific place. There's a million places where you could live if you want a house hack. If you want to build a rental portfolio, the good news is you don't have to live in the city that you're building a rental portfolio. So you can use um, companies like Roofstock. Um, you can just you know, reach out to RIAs or, or investor clubs in any city and find out who the wholesalers are, find out who's selling houses and get on their list. And you can start, you know, making bids and buying houses and renovating them long distance. Like you can totally do that in this world that we're in now, post COVID, especially you could do it before COVID, but post COVID, it's so much more acceptable. People don't think it's weird at all. If you're not going to live in a city where you do your business, it's, it's done all the time. But if you want a house hack, that means you have to live there. So my quick answer is just don't live on the coasts. Just avoid the coasts. If you avoid the coasts, then anywhere you live is going to be most likely pretty good, right? There's there's places that are more competitive than others, but a lot of the southern states are really good. Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, like a lot of those kind of states are great. Um, all the Midwest stuff, Illinois, Ohio, um, Michigan, where I am, even Pennsylvania, there's definitely areas there that are really, really good. Nebraska, Kansas, like all those, like all those Midwestern and Southern, uh, states are, are really good. And there's a lot of areas in those states that are not overly competitive, right? Some of them are, are competitive. There are definitely states that are competitive, but if you stay away from the coasts and maybe some of the bigger, um, like Texas can be tough, especially like Dallas and Austin. Those places are really, really tough. Nashville is a little tricky. It's pretty busy now. It's pretty competitive. But, you know, those are the exceptions. A lot of those Midwest and Southern states are where I would go if I were going to start over and I wanted to house hack or build a rental portfolio in a state that I lived. I would choose, you know, one of those Midwest, Southern states, most likely. Um, but just do your research, like find out is if it's like a crazy, crazy, booming, booming town, it's great if you can get a deal. But those are the towns that are going to be difficult because everyone, if you find out it's booming, everyone probably knows it's booming. And so it's probably packed with investors and a lot of people spending a lot of money trying to find houses. And there's, you know, Zillow's not doing it so much, but there's going to be big institutional buyers there who are gobbling up a lot of houses and it's going to become a little more um, challenging to compete. So if you want to, and the reason why you're saying you have to get out of the Bay Area could be a million things. But if you're saying it for real estate purposes or investing purposes, if you need to get out because of how competitive and how high, how high the house prices are, then you know, you've got to be careful when you research towns that you're not just going from the fire pan, frying pan into the fire, so to speak. You're not going from a crazy, um, appreciating, um, competitive, high housing market into another one. <clears throat> you want to pick one that's a little more reasonable. So, you know, I would say more states than not are going to be good for this endeavor, but just stay away from the coasts for the most part and you'll, you'll be mostly okay. That's what I would say.
Okay, uh, let's jump to the next question. I'm going to get a drink while we're doing that. Next question. I am not renewing the lease, the lease, I'm sorry, of one of my tenants and have given her proper notice. She has now reported me to fair, the Fair Housing Bureau and is attacking me online. Do I need to be worried about any legal action? No. If you have given her the proper, I don't know what proper notice means in this case, but if you've given her 30 days or, again, I don't know the whole situation. If your tenant stopped paying, and it doesn't sound like that's what's happening, but if a tenant doesn't pay, I think you can pretty much, they don't, you, know, if you give them a seven-day notice, right? A seven-day notice to quit, it's called. If they don't pay you in seven days, then you can start the eviction proceeding. You don't have to wait 30 days. But if you're going to um, not renew the lease, I would look at your lease and make sure that whatever was agreed upon in the lease is what you're doing. So if the lease says you have to give her 30 days and you've given her that notice, and I'm assuming that's exactly what happened because you said you gave her proper notice. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to assume that when you say proper, you mean the agreed upon legal amount of time that you have to give her. If that's the case, there's nothing to worry about. She's atta- I don't know how she's attacking you online. If she's going to your personal Facebook or if she's going to, you know, the Better Business Bureau, the Fair Housing Bureau, if she's doing something through those channels. But if you, you, you don't have to renew someone's lease. And I know this because I just didn't renew the lease of, you know, over a dozen people over the last year. So, uh, cause I was going to sell all my rentals. And once I decided I was going to sell my rentals, I just gave everyone 30 day notice because everyone was on a month to month. But yeah, if you gave proper notice, I, I mean, this is, this falls under the heading of you can't really, uh, stop people from doing crazy things if they want to be crazy. And so it sounds like she wants to be a little crazy and the fair housing bureau is not going to do anything because you didn't do anything wrong. Doesn't sound like, and if she's attacking you online, I would just try to block her, you know, just block her on whatever social media platform that she's attacking you on. Just block her. If it's in some sort of like a group, like, you know, sometimes in my market, there is a, um, a Facebook group that all the investors are on. And if someone goes on there, I don't control that group. I'm not a moderator or an owner. And so people can go on there and start trashing someone. I w- if that's the case, I would reach out to the moderator of the group and just say, hey, this person is being abusive. Lay out the situation. I gave her proper notice, 30-day notice, whatever it is. And she's mad. And so she's just saying nasty things. I would appreciate it if you would block her comments or block her altogether. And most groups are going to say, yeah, okay, we don't want this kind of drama either. Right? Nobody wants it. So if it's in a group, I would talk to the moderators. If she's attacking you directly on one of your Facebook pages or Facebook accounts, I'd block her there. If she's saying stuff about you on her own account and tagging you or something like, I don't know, man, I'm not a social media expert, but I say ignore it, block her or ignore it because you didn't do anything wrong. And, you know, the problem is with good people, even when good people are accused of doing something wrong, even though they know they're not wrong, it bothers them because they're good people. And the fact that you are even saying this is bothering you and you're worried, you're, you're, you've clearly never been through this because you don't even know if you should be worried about legal action. And I no, you shouldn't be worried about legal action. But this person sounds a little unhinged and she's just probably mad because she doesn't want to move. That's understandable. It's fine. She doesn't have to like it, but there's nothing she can do legally. It doesn't sound like. So I'm not a lawyer, but 
I, you didn't do anything wrong. You can, you can ask someone to leave your house when their lease is up. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And if you gave her at least whatever you agreed to give her in the lease, you're good. I wouldn't worry about it. Case closed. Move on. Don't even, don't even sweat it. Okay. Let's hop to the next question. Next question from Nick. Hey, what's up, Nick? Nick's a regular here. He's, he's my guy. Uh, what would be your first hire for a flipping business? If you are just wanting to ramp up your business, we have had, I'm sorry, we have some active flips now and just looking to scale as best we can. Nick, uh, the worst answer in the world is it depends, uh, but it does depend. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it depends on and I'll give you some answers to your question. It depends mostly on what it is that you either don't like doing in your flipping business or you're not doing it particularly well. And, and usually those things are the same. And so usually there's two, two people that need to be hired in a house flipping business. Well, three. There's three major roles that I would think would be up for consideration for your first hire. Either one of these three, a salesperson to help you get more deals, right? To get more lead flow, someone to go out and, and on the appointments from your marketing efforts. B or number two, whatever you're, however you're keeping track, would be a project manager. If you don't have the time or don't particularly like hiring and managing contractors, that's a big one. Most people should hire a project manager. The third person would be sort of like a, like a, like an assistant or someone who can handle all of the details, the paperwork, dealing with title companies, turning on and off electricity and, and utilities, someone who will get the homeowner's insurance and then cancel it once you've sold the house, someone who will um, get all the disclosures together for the MLS, someone who maybe who will take pictures for the MLS someone who will list on the MLS, like someone who's sort of handling all the minutiae and stuff that we as investors don't typically love to do, that person. And so a salesperson, a project manager, or a detail person, I always call them a detail person, someone who sort of like handles all of the paperwork and all the details and things that we don't love doing. That's one of those three people. So I don't know if you want to dial down a little farther, Nick, and tell me what it is you don't like doing in your business, but whatever you say, you don't like doing, that's who I'm going to tell you to hire. Um, if you're, you know, you said you want to ramp up, um, you have some active flips going, Nick, I can't remember if you have a full-time job or not, but if you do, a project manager might be the right person, someone who can be on the job site, you know, multiple times a week and someone who can really hold uh, contractors accountable, so forth. But if you're like, you know what, Mike, I love that part. I love managing contractors. I love getting bids from contractors. Like I love all that. Then, okay, not that person. Maybe it's a detail person. Okay. You got a full-time job. Um, so it, it's probably, honestly, it's probably the project manager or the detail person. If it was me, it's going to be the detail person. Like that's who I would need if I was running a small and growing flipping business. I need a detail person because all that paperwork will fall through the cracks and things will start falling apart. I'll handle the contractors. But I know there are people out there who really don't like confrontation. And, and dealing with contractors does not have to be confrontation, okay? I don't, want to, I don't want to imply that all contractors need to be yelled at and it's always this horrible thing. It's not. But 
there is sometimes some subtle confrontations that have to be dealt with. And if you hate that part, then that's the person for sure. That's the person. Um, you general contract yourself. Construction's easy. Cool. Then the first person I would hire is someone who can handle all the details. They're going to get um, all the documentation from the seller. They're, they're going to get all your documentation together. They're going to communicate with the title company. They're going to get utilities started and stopped. They're going to make sure you have insurances up to date. Like they're going to do all that stuff. They're going to make sure that the contractor's getting paid on time, like all that, right? All of that, that's the, if you want to hire somebody, that's probably who you should hire. That would be my opinion on that, Nick. Tell me if I'm, if I hit the mark or not. I'm flying blind on these questions. So either next or if Nick has another follow-up to that. Okay. Next question. I have five single family home rental properties and was wondering how much I should have saved for how I like the cloud, the way it's worded, how much I should have saved for vacancies, capital expenditures, and maintenance. Um, you know, there's no, there's no exact number here, but what I do is I assume if you do a really good job screening people, then the vacancies aren't going to be necessarily as high. So I would say at least at least 5% for vacancies. I would say at least 5% for maintenance, sometimes 10. 10 is probably a better number. I would feel safer. And maybe another 5 to 10 for capital expenditures. But capital expenditures, by the way, are kind of bigger ticket, right? Bigger things like roofs and furnaces and things like that. At, at my height of my rental portfolio volume, I honestly can't remember, but I was somewhere between like 22 and 25 properties. And a lot of those properties, I bought them and I did a light renovation and then I put renters in it right away. If the house had a roof that, let's just say it was 20 years into a 25-year roof, I would leave it. If the furnace was working, but it was 25 years old, I would leave it. If the hot water heater was working, but it was 15 years old, I would leave it, okay? And so what I ended up having and, and what one of the things that factored into my decision to sell my rentals, it wasn't the only reason, but one of the reasons was all of the capital expenditures that were coming up for me. I was starting to see roofs go bad. I was starting to see furnaces go bad. I was starting to see how water heaters go bad. And it was starting to become this snowball. And so when it comes to capital expenditures, I didn't plan for them myself. But if I was going to start over and start building a rental portfolio, I probably still would not really have much of a budget um, to save for capital expenditures because what I learned by having all those rental properties with all those capital expenditures happening is when you buy the property, make it bulletproof. And by that, I mean, if the roof is 20 years into a 25-year roof, replace it. If your furnace is 20 years in, and it's on its kind of its last leg, but it works, replace it. If the hot water heater is 15 years old, replace it, right? Don't leave anything in place that's going to need something done in the next five years. Like, don't. Just, just put it on new, make that thing bulletproof so that you won't have capital expenditures 
for 20, 25 years in a lot of cases. That's what I would highly recommend. And if that's what you do and you take my advice, you might be able to just say five, five, and five. Five for vacancies, five for capital expenditures, five for maintenance, maybe. Because that capital expenditure, you know, you could, some of that could get shifted over into maintenance if it got a little crazy. And maybe you have to adjust, maybe you got more maintenance. But if you go in and make it bulletproof, your maintenance and capital expenditures will be very minimal, very minimal. And that's really what I would do if I was going to start over again. That would be the lessons learned that I would take and I would put it into practice in my next go around with rentals is don't let there be capital expenditures because you should be replacing all of the big ticket items when you buy the house. Now, if you buy a house as 10 years into a 25 year roof, like you're not going to replace that. Obviously, you're going to leave it alone. If it's in good shape, you're going to leave it alone. But Honestly, if it's anywhere after 15 years into a 25-year roof, I'm thinking about it. And if it's 20 years in, I'm definitely doing it. If it's 18 years, I'm probably doing it. If it's 15, I got to look at it, right? Every 15-year roof or every every 15-year-old roof is not the same. Um, if it really looks like it's had some wear and tear and maybe it was under some trees that were doing some damage or whatever, whatever the case may be, and it looks like a, a house that has a roof that's 15 years old, but it looks like it's 25 years old, I'm replacing it. I don't care if it just has 15 years, I'm replacing it. So replace those big ticket items, trust me. It's it's much easier to do it when you buy it because you can budget that in to what you buy for the house for and your loan situation and all that. If you have 20 rentals and all of them or half of them need a roof at the same time, that will destroy your cash flow for several months. Like you will absolutely be in a bad spot. Because if you buy a house that's 20 years into a 25-year roof, and two years after you buy the house, it needs a roof, you do not have enough capital money saved in most cases to replace that roof. So do it right away. Don't don't wait for the problem to bite you when you're least expecting it. Take care of those capital, capital expenditures right away, right when you buy it. And then you don't have to worry about having that fund, you know, uh, that that part of your business funded right away. You have... 10, 15, 20 years before you have to worry about capital expenditures. That's the lessons learned. That's what I took away from my experience. Okay, next question. Thanks, Nick. Good. I'm glad it helped. You're very welcome, friend. You're very welcome. Do you have any... Okay, this is Nick again asking, do you have any tips on maximizing a short-term rental profit? I'm probably not the best guy to ask for this. I'm just starting to get into short-term rentals myself. Um, So I I don't want to like... I don't want to be an expert where I'm not an expert. Um, I would say, and you know these folks too, I would ask Tyler, I would ask um, Spencer Bailey. Um, I would ask some of those folks, um, maybe even like Terry Berger, that he would he would ask some good answers there too. I'm just getting into it. I'm sure there's a ton of things you can do to maximize profits, but uh, I'm not the right guy to ask for that. Not yet. Give me a year or two and I will hopefully be able to crush that answer and give you good tips. All right. Next question. I know that you have scaled your business and I would like to know how you balanced goal setting, education, and actually implementing your strategy. Um, I didn't have any goal setting, educate, balance goal. Yeah. Goal setting, education, and actually implementing strategy. So I, there's no balance when it comes to implementing. Implement, implementation should be constant and relenting. Okay. Let me say that one more time. Implementing your strategy should be constant and 
unrelenting. You have to consistently implement, okay? But when it comes to goal setting and education, I think you should set goals. And I learned this over time. This is not how I did it from day one. But I think you should set your goals every 90 days. Don't have active goals that are not, or or I should say this way, don't have an active goal that's more than a 90-day goal. It's fine to have goals that are more than 90 days. In other words, January 1st, you make your year goal. That's fine. But that's like your that's like your your long-term goal. And you don't think about it on a day-to-day basis. You should take that long-term goal, that one-year goal, break it into 90-day goals, and think about that 90-day goal every single day. And if you hit all of your 90-day goals, all right, all four of them in a year, that will become uh, the one-year goal. You will have accomplished the one-year goal, right? So your your 90-day goals should support your one-year goal. Your one-year goal should support your three-year goals. Your three-year goal should support your seven-year goals and so forth. So I don't really balance it. I do goal setting every 90 days. And then education, honestly, it's probably the same answer as implementation. It's constant and it's unrelenting. You should be reading, listening, growing. Now, it's important though that I that I make this clear, right? Education is constant, but so is implementation. You can't have constant education and periodic or you know rare implementation. That that is paralysis analysis. That is an excuse that people make so they don't actually have to take any risks or take any action is they're educating themselves. So if you're not going to constantly implement, then I don't want you to constantly educate. I just don't. And I know that probably sounds, that's not what most people are going to tell you, but I don't care. I I know what happens to people who constantly educate and never implement. It's, It's exactly what it sounds like. They constantly educate. They constantly plan. They strategize. They read books. They listen to podcasts. They go to lives. They ask questions, but they don't do anything. That's, that's more sad to me than someone who doesn't even bother educating themselves. It is because it's sad because you have all the tools you need. You're choosing to be afraid or you're, it's a, it's fear is what it is. You can make a million reasons why you educate, but don't implement, but it's just, it all boils down to some sort of fear. You're, you're afraid of something. And so someone who has the education goes out, pays for the education in both time and money, and they don't implement it way more tragic than the person who just doesn't even bother to educate themselves. And they just sit on their couch and watch Netflix or HBO max or whatever. They're playing video games. Like at least they're not wasting their time with something that they're never going to use. Like they're not getting education and then not using it. Like it's horrible. It's like, it's like having a, you know, a fire hose and you're standing outside of a burning house and you don't turn the hose on. It's like, what? Like that is the, that is the biggest tragedy, tragedy of all. Right, you could have done something to stop the house from burning. You could have done something to change your situation, to change your life, to build a business, to create financial education, to create. Uh, I'm sorry, um, to create financial freedom, or freedom of time. You could have done something. You educated yourself, and then you didn't free yourself of a nine to five that you hate, or free yourself of financial burden. So. The balance between education and implementation is both of them all the time. And that may sound radical, right? How can I always be implementing? 
just do it, right? Most people, most people, and I've been guilty of this myself, they read a book and they go, that was really, really great. That was a good book. I got a lot out of that. And then instead of implementing what they learned in the book, they go and get another book and they read it and they go, wow, that was really great. I got a lot out of that. And then they go to the next book and the next book and they don't implement anything. I say, if you read a book, don't read another book until you've implemented everything you can implement from that first book. And this is advice that I, I have to tell myself sometimes too, because I get excited. I read a book. I love it. I get excited. I know what book I want to read next or listen to next, right? If you're a listener of books. But the problem is if you educate but don't implement, you're just spinning your wheels. Yeah, maybe you're getting smarter about whatever subject you, you're doing, but if you never implement, it doesn't matter. So the balance is education, implementation all the time, every day, all day, period. Goal setting once a, once a quarter, once every 90 days. That's when you goal set. That's how I see it, guys. And that's just from a lot of years of doing things wrong as well as doing things right. Okay. Uh, Nick asks again, as the market has shifted in the last three or four weeks, are your th- what are your thoughts as an investor? So I just did a podcast as a guest on my friend, Bill Allen's podcast. It hasn't gone live yet, so you can't hear it, but it's going to go live soon. And we talked this about this exact question. Here are my thoughts on the market and how it shifted in the last four or four weeks. And what are my thoughts? My thoughts are keep going, keep buying and selling houses. Don't stop. Don't let the market dictate your pace or your enthusiasm, but understand what's happening. Right. And when you say it's shifted in the last three or four weeks, what I've noticed in my market is more days on market or longer days on market. Um, House prices are are starting to level off a little bit. They're not going crazy appreciating like they were. They're starting to become a little more constant. It's fine. It's still a strong market. There's still bidding wars for houses. There's still, it's still, take it from me. I sell houses all the time. It's very easy to sell houses still in, in most markets, mine included. It's very easy to sell houses. So the shift in my opinion, or at least in my observation has very been very minimal. But what we can't do as investors is think that the sky is falling when the market shifts ever so slightly. We keep our ear to the ground. We engage if we're if you're involved with groups or mentorships or whatever, and you you're connected to other investors around your community or around the country, is engage with them, ask them what they're seeing. It's sort of like a tornado, and not that not that our market's a tornado, but a tornado really can do a lot of damage to you personally if you don't see it coming until it's in your backyard. But if you have your neighbors and you're on this call tree and people like, all right, it's heading east on this road and now it's heading south. Like if you know that it's coming from like miles away and you have a lot of notice, like you can get out of there and you're not going to get destroyed. But the housing market's the same way. It's it's not going to destroy you if you sort of maneuver with it. You know, it's sort of this... It's a, it's a dance that we're doing with the market and you have to be in step with the partner. In this case, the partner is the market. When it moves right, you move left. When it moves left, you move right. When the market starts going down, you have to change how you buy and sell. When the market goes up, you have to change again how you buy and sell. What is your messaging to sellers? What is your messaging to the buyer? However the market's moving, your messaging is a little bit different. But the bottom line is, do not stop. Do not slow down. I know people, and myself included, but people who've been in this longer than me even, who have seen drastic highs, 
drastic lows and now drastic highs again in the market. And they've been successful the entire time because they were aware of the market. If you've heard of the book, Who Moved My Cheese? If you haven't read it, you should read it. But the gist of it is you have to move with the cheese. Wherever the market takes your opportunity, that's where you go. And when the market moves the opportunities somewhere else, you have to go over there where the opportunities are. And so the market's fine. The market is agnostic. The market is neither good nor evil. It's neither good nor bad. It's just what it is, right? It's it's like anything, right? An inanimate object. An inanimate, a, a hammer can be used for good. A hammer is useless until someone picks it up. If you choose to beat someone over the head with it, that hammer was a weapon, a deadly weapon. If you choose to build a house with it, it was a useful tool, okay? So you just, the market is how you react to it. It's not good or bad. And so I have no good or bad feelings about what's happening in the market. I'm just paying attention. I'm paying attention so I know what's happening, so I know what to do next. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. I think it was a good perspective too. <laughs> All right. Um, I think we're out of questions. Angela, can you confirm or deny that we are out of questions? I think we are out. And we are about 38 minutes in. Um, all right. Yeah. Adam, hey, man, this is a $1 million call for free weekly. Love it. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. I feel the same way. There's some good stuff happening here. If you have questions uh, and you come here, you get them answered for free. I know people personally that pay tens of thousands of dollars to get similar answers to their questions. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be part of a mastermind because you should. However, there is a little bit of a workaround. If you don't quite have the money to get involved in something like that, you come here and talk to someone who helps run that thing and you ask them questions for free. Um, let's see, Adam, I am buying cash flowing rentals in the Midwest in this market. Super smart. I don't know if you were here at the top of the show, but that was a question that came up. Where should I live if I want to house hack or build a rental portfolio? I said the same thing. Midwest, some of the southern states are great, but if you stick in the Midwest, stay away from the coasts, you're you're good. I think there's plenty, plenty of like lots and lots of meat on the bone in the Midwest. And you can get the 1% rule easily. You can get the 2% rule pretty easily. It's pretty pretty common to get that. I get it in Michigan all the time. I know you can get it in a lot of Midwest states. So yes, rentals in this market in the Midwest cannot go wrong, in my opinion. Cannot go wrong. And by the way, for if anybody cares, I don't know if you do, and I'm just going to say this little disclaimer. I have no crystal ball, obviously. I don't have any information that isn't readily available to the world. I don't know anything. However, you want my opinion, I don't think house prices will crash. And I see, I'm saying this because I've seen it in the news recently. Some people saying that the crash is going to be worse than 08 when the housing market crashes. I vehemently disagree with that. And I'm on record. So you can play this back for me in three years if I was wrong. And I could be, but I don't think it's going to crash like that. So don't wait for the crash to get involved. Don't wait for the crash to buy rentals. Don't wait for the crash to start flipping houses or wholesaling houses. Now's the time. I promise you in 10 years, you will not be happy that you waited three years from now to do it. You will wish you started right now. So start right now, get out there and make it happen. Guys, that's all for this week. I'm 40 minutes in. It's been a blast. Adam, thanks for being here. Nick, thanks for being here, guys, who submitted questions and girls who submitted questions. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. I will see you next week. Don't forget to go to mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. Grab your free 
video series on direct mail. Everything I learned did I, that I did right and wrong, learned from my mistakes. I spent a million dollars on it. I think I know what I'm talking about. Go grab it. It's free. You can't beat it. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.